All right, we are live. Hey, everybody. Good, happy Sunday to you. This is Critical Q&A number 167, brought to you live from Philadelphia. Uh, the uh, International Cultic Studies Association Conference ended last night. Uh, an amazing experience and certainly one that I hope to repeat uh, in coming years. Met some amazing people, had just learned a lot. And was able to also do two presentations and talk uh, and help other folks out too, which was the primary reason that I came. So, uh, so we're live here, and uh, let's just make sure that all is well. And let me tweet this out, and then we will get started answering uh, questions. I see we have people coming on now, which is great. Yeah, there we go. Let's get this live stream up here on my computer. Good. Sounds like uh, we got sound here. You can see this wonderful kitchen behind me. I am in um, this amazing house uh, here on uh, 13th Street here in Philadelphia. I just had a, a local person here tell me all about the history of this neighborhood and, and the area. This is the first time I've been on the East Coast, out where it's, I, I could actually say I'm on the East Coast, I, you know, sort of. I, I didn't see the Atlantic Ocean, but I uh, you know, saw the, the, the shipyards and stuff coming in here. And, um, and this is the farthest east I've ever been in the United States. So, uh, so I've been having a, a, a pretty, pretty good time with this. Um, we're, you know, I, I, I'm, we're going to do a little bus tour today, and then I'm going to go back home tonight. And I uh, hope to see some of the historic sites and, and uh, get a chance to, to check some of those out before I, before I get out of here. So this is a critical Q&A episode. Now, I also just did a live cast with uh, Ron Miscavige for his show. That I did not see coming until uh, yesterday. We set that up and did that this morning, and that was a lot of fun. So if you guys didn't get a chance to see that, I think that's going to go up later today. And it's pretty much me telling my story of getting out of Scientology and getting in and getting out. And we talked and commented on some things with that. So that was kind of fun. Um, so now, um, I'm ready to answer any questions you guys might have for me for this week. That is, uh, the purpose of this, uh, live stream. I've got my chat up here and, um, good to see you. Great. Hey, Teresa. Good to see you too. Let's pop this chat out and let's see, uh, what we've got going on here. I have had some, uh. I've been saving up some, I've been queuing up some, some fun questions for future Q&A episodes. <laughs> but, um, but the thing I like about live stream, of course, is that I get to interact with you folks. But let me pull up. Yeah, it looks like we're, looks like we should be good. Uh, hey, lots of Turner. Good. Yes. All right. And yeah, this is, hello. Hey, Fred. Good to see you. Comments are, are starting to come in now. Good, good. Let me, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> yes, I have definitely enjoyed the traveling. Now let's see here. Let me pull up my Google Drive. Hey, Polly. Welcome to the show. Let's see here. Let me pull this up. A little bit. <clears throat> hmm. Just drinking some water. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, a little bit of frog in my throat there. 
All right. So uh, first question of the day is, am I experiencing any fair gaming from uh, the season three? <sighs> there's a couple there. There's a couple things that have happened recently, and I'm not sure whether I should talk about them or not. Um, I've received some interesting emails. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I have never been. Well, you know, what the hell? Why not? Let's go ahead and talk about this. Um, I have, uh, oh, wow, Costa Rica. Hey, Polly. I did. Oh, Mike, I did eat a cheesesteak. <laughs> and it was, it was great. It was fine. Uh, okay, so getting back to this question, let me not get too distracted while you guys are, are, are commenting now. Um, okay, I got my first offer uh, to shut down my channel. Uh, I was actually given a monetary offer uh, through an email, an anonymous email. I can't say for sure whether it was really legit from the church or not, but it claimed to be. Uh, it claimed to be from a consortium of Scientologists who were, uh, I think what they said is, yeah, they said they were disturbed by some of my video content. And they were offering me a sum of money in order to shut down my channel and turn everything over to the church and never talk about Scientology again. Needless to say, I was a little surprised to receive that. Um, amused, uh, I thought that the, um, the amount of money they were offering me was a little bit of a lowball figure. And I thought, really? You really think my freedom of speech is worth that little? That was my, and that was my response uh, to the email. I answered it. I went, okay, let's, let's see what happens here. Let's go. Uh, never seriously considering selling my channel for, you know, pennies. But, uh, but I, you know, I, um, I said, well, let's see what happens. And I, and I continued on with the conversation. It only went for a couple of emails back and forth. They represented to me that they were not working. <coughs> excuse me. Ugh. They represented that they, they were not working for the, that they were not the church but that they were uh, concerned Scientologists and that David Miscavige knew what they were doing. Now, again, this could have been a total prank. This could have been somebody screwing around with me. But why would somebody screw around with me? I mean, you know, why, why would somebody do that? It, it, you know, I, I tend to think that this was real. And, uh, and I, when I said, well, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit better than what you're, than what you're telling me here because... If you truly expect me to give up my life's work for the last four years and for many future years, because I don't intend on stopping what I'm doing anytime soon. So if you actually seriously expect me to consider uh, basically ruining my reputation, cutting off my freedom of speech, ruining my integrity, uh, you know, you're going to have to bring something to the table that's going to make me seriously think about doing that. And... They said uh, in response, basically, well, that's not very realistic, and thank you for your time. And that was, that was the extent of that. So I wouldn't call it fair gaming, but it was certainly interesting. Uh, anyway, other than that, no. I have not been involved, honestly, with Season 3 to the same degree that I was with Season 1 and 2. I'm still in touch, of course, with, with Leah and Mike from time to time. But I'm just as much as you guys are, I'm looking forward to Season 3, but not really knowing a whole lot. I have a couple little hints about some of th some things that are coming that are very exciting. It is definitely not my place to announce any of it here. 
Um, but it is definitely super, super exciting. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very happy with some of what's coming out. Um, of course, you know, when you're talking about Scientology and exposing its abuses, it's not a light, pleasant, airy conversation. So I use the term happy and, you know, in relative terms here, but, um, but, you know, very pleased with the, uh, the, the coverage and, and what's going to be uh, exposed. All right. So let's see what other, let's see what else we've got going on here. Uh, I'm not going to say how much the offer was. I, I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, I don't want to start throwing numbers around, but I will say that uh, it, it was insulting. All right. So I did not, I did not go to Gino's, Mike. Uh, I went to, uh, I can't remember the name of it, McGill's or, or something. It was apparently right behind the new Ideal Org Philly building for Scientology. And it's, it, was, it was billed to me as the oldest pub in Philadelphia. That's where we went, and that's where I had a cheesesteak. I'm, I, you know, I'm told it was fairly representative of, of, of Philly cheesesteaks. And I was also told by almost every single person who's a native of Philly, uh, yeah, we don't really get this whole cheesesteak thing. I'm not really sure why everybody's so gaga about cheesesteaks. They're really not that great. I enjoyed my cheesesteak. So that's what I'll say about that. All right, so let's see what we got going on here. Uh, just saw you on Ron's channel. Oh, thanks, Trish. Um, what was your biggest? She, Trish Robinson asks that uh, she saw my interview with Ron Miscavige, and she says, "What was your biggest take home so far from the conference as far as new concepts or ideas?" Great question. I talked a little bit in my podcast live stream yesterday about recovery and about normal and what those two words mean to me now. And I've been giving a lot of thought and consideration to that. So, so check that podcast out. But with, what's exciting to me about being at this conference was being able to interact with other people who are truly academics and are doing research in sociology and psychology. Uh, and some of the models that are being put together and, and, and looked at as far as abusive relationships, cults or cultic activities or high control groups, and, and even terrorist cells. And how these things are actually connected and in some ways are just, how, what do you call it, um, tigers of a different stripe or something? Like they're kind of the same thing, really. Um, I've talked about how uh, I, I have come to the, to the conclusion or, or I'm looking at the, the, you know, representing a high control group or a, a, a destructive cult as an abusive relationship between a, a leader or leaders and the followers and how there's a degree of codependency there. You can't, the leader is just as dependent on the followers for his power and his, and, and, and satisfying his, you know, whims, so to speak, and his desires as the followers are dependent on the leader for leadership and guidance and direction and really personality. Because, you know, when you get to a certain place in a, cultic group, according to Steve Hassan, you are dealing with personality shifting where you're taking on the persona of the cult leader. And I, I find this work fascinating. I, I'm absolutely just intrigued by the psychology of it. And there's neurological studies that are being done on this. And there's a lot of psychology being worked on with this. And the nature of the relationship 
and so and you and you can and you can start modeling different ways or different framing of, of of how to look at this stuff. And I think that some of the direction that this is going in, uh, at least in the realm of psychology and, and maybe neurology, has promise, has some real hope of of changing the conversation a bit, uh, where we you know tend to deal with some of the abusive practices of these groups. A lot of people focus way too much on the odd belief systems. And I've tried to make the point recently that it's not about the belief system. It's about the nature of the relationship between the leadership and the followers. Whether you're dealing with a cult of two or a cult of 2,000 or 2 million, the dynamic is sort of similar or, or the same. And that is the things that I've had some really great conversations with here at this conference, and I'm going to hopefully be having more conversations about, including having maybe some uh, video conversations on my channel about this with people who, you know, might know the terminology and, and models and, and information better than I can represent to you right now. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited about all this. So that is, that's been um, a, a big takeaway from the conference here. Um, so that's, that's the answer to that question. All right. So let's see here. Let's see what else we got going on here as far as questions from you guys. All uh, right. Um, don't leave us. Yeah, don't worry, Teresa. I'm not going to be leaving you. Uh, Lisa Ebbs asks, why do, so, why do so many Scientologists smoke? Because <laughs> they're stressed out? <laughs> I mean, I smoked when I was in the Sea Org. Oh, hey, somebody, uh, somebody dropped me a, a contribution there. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate that. Um, smoking, I smoked when I was in the Sea Org. Um, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a definite stress reliever. Now, I did not let myself get addicted when I was in the Sea Org. I, I purposefully kept myself, uh, you know, on the straight and narrow there where it would take me, it literally took me about two weeks to get through a pack of cigarettes. So I, I you know, I was not any kind of heavy smoker. But believe me, I needed the, the, the stress relief from time to time. And I talked to other Sea Org members at the time, and they said the exact same thing. And they did get, you know, many of them do get addicted to it um, because, you know, let's face it, it's addicting. Um, but stress relief is the number one reason as far as from my experience. And Hubbard also, by the way, went out of his way as a hardcore smoker himself. He smoked unfiltered cools. I mean, that guy was hardcore. And he went out of his way to justify and rationalize smoking. He even talked about how, um, I think it was nicotinic acid. Um, I, I think that, you know, and the, and the nicotine, right, was good for you and was something that your body needed. I, he talked about that in one of his, in the 60s, in one of his briefing course lectures. So, that's, so that just gives more rationalization to Scientologists to, to smoke. All right, let's see here. Um, I mean, Mr. Funny Man sounds like a prank to me. It, it, you know, it very well could have been as far as that whole letter and offer of money and stuff. But I'm sharing it with you guys because it was interesting and it was something uh, kind of new and different that happened to me. All right, let's see here. Because um, they can't afford. Oh, Danielle says they smoke because they can't afford other vices. Yeah, yeah that's probably true. I got to a point where I couldn't even afford smoking <laughs> when I was in the Sea Org. I actually quit. While I was on the RPF is when I quit smoking, totally, because I was only making 10, 11 bucks a week and cigarettes had gone up 
they were like six or seven dollars a pack in California at that time, even in the Sea Org canteen. And uh, I, I just I couldn't afford even that anymore. All right, let's see what we got here. Um, all right, yeah, all that, <laughs> all that spiritual freedom makes you wanna makes you wanna smoke. All right. Um, let's see what else we got here. Yeah, the show with Ron will be posted later today, by the way, so you guys can check that out. Um, oh, Lisa Ebbs asks, why do lots of Scientologists want to stay under the radar? Surely if there was that much belief, they would shout it from the rooftops. You know, that's a good question, Lisa. Um, and I'll tell you from my own experience as a Scientologist, you learn quickly that, um, that, well, especially now, but I mean, going even going back many years, I mean, even pre-anonymous, pre-going clear, pre-Leah Remini show, I mean, even back before all of that, Scientology was always considered this sort of odd, goofball, weird UFO cult. Uh, I heard it lots of times when I was a Scientologist and when I was in the Sea Org. Uh, even going back to high school, uh, I learned to sort of, you know, cut it back because I would talk about Dianetics. I would talk about, you know, maybe the science of it because I believed it was a science. And I would talk about Scientology as a philosophy, as a religious philosophy. I was a little on the fence about calling it a religion. And I would get quizzed or talked to by other high schoolers who, you know, were some of them were into just making fun of it and others were honestly asking me questions about it. But I learned that it had a not great reputation, and I didn't totally understand why. We, in the information bubble, didn't know about, you know, things that people, you know, outside the bubble knew about, and we weren't supposed to know about those things. We weren't supposed to find out about them. Excuse me. Sorry, I bumped the table there. But... Um, I knew that there was something a little skewed about people's views about it. And it felt like it was a constant battle to try to contextualize Scientology and get people to see it the way I saw it. And I could, and it was, a, it was hard. Um, there was a, there was a um, what's called the dissemination drill in Scientology. It's a four-step process in order to tell others about Scientology and its contact, handle, salvage, bring to understanding. So contact is just contact. Hello, how are you? You know, hey, Joe. Ha the contact handle step is where you're supposed to solicit from them information that they've heard about Scientology so that you can tell them, well, that's not true, and here's what it really is. And that's when you get into the salvage step. But you got to do the handle step first. And if you don't know, this is the difficulty and the and the the conflict that Scientologists run into in doing this handle step is we didn't know all the things that people were saying about Scientology. So we would try to do this handle step and we would hear some pretty alarming stuff sometimes or things we'd never heard about. I mean, if somebody starts unloading Xenu on a Scientologist, they're going to be like, well, if they don't OT, they're not going to know what you're talking about. So they're going to tell you pretty much the, the handle step is no matter what you're being, no matter what you say to me about Scientology, I'm going to say back to you, well, that's not true. Let me tell you what it really is, right? Because, it, uh, you know, I'm, that's just what I'm going to, that's, that's the, my response gonna, is going to be. 
And, um, and then I want to tell you all the good stuff about it. But you're in a frame of mind where you don't really think that all the, all the good stuff is true because you've heard, you've watched 60 Minutes, you've read Time Magazine, you've watched South Park, whatever it is that you've been exposed to. And so you know more than I do about my subject. And that's the irony of it. And they don't really prep Scientologists well for this because there is this confidential information that you're not supposed to know about. And there are secrets and there are bad things Scientology has done. And they don't let Scientologists know about that either. They're not supposed to know about it. So they're kind of their own worst enemy in trying to disseminate themselves. I mean, it's just a big, it ends up being a big cluster. Fuck. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so I think that, and I think in order to really answer your question, Lisa, as far as why do most Scientologists stay under the radar it's because they don't want to deal with all that. They don't want that hassle. They don't want, you know, why would they put themselves through that? They just keep it to themselves and they don't really talk about Scientology much because they think they know the truth and they think that they're getting all these wins and gains and it's the best thing that they've ever experienced. And if you're so stupid that you're going to go believe 60 Minutes rather than L. Ron Hubbard, well, that's on you. And I, you know, as a Scientologist, there's nothing I can do about that. And that's really kind of what they, what most of them end up concluding. And it's really only the most gung-ho and like, I got to get everybody involved with this kind of people who are not flying under the radar. But they're, you know, they are not all Scientologists. So I hope that answers the question. If anything else comes up from that, just let me know. Uh, all right. Um, Trish says, thank you, Chris, for all your hard work and passing on to us what you have learned. You're, you're very welcome. It's it's my pleasure. I, I I love doing this. I love I love giving you guys information. Uh, all right. Danielle says I need to go to Primonti Brothers. I, I I'll try. I've only got one more day here. Uh, okay. And I definitely will not be selling to those horrible people. Uh, seek zeros. Frederick Nietzsche. Oh, I'm being I'm, Nietzsche is being quoted to me here. What is this, Carl? What? You seek something? You wish to multiply yourself tenfold, a hundredfold? You seek followers? Seek zeros. Frederick Nietzsche. I think I, I think I might need a little bit more context to totally understand that. It's an interesting, uh, interesting statement there. Um, all right. I have an actual relationship. When in, okay, Mr. Funny Man is asking me, when in Scientology did you view yourself as having an actual relationship with the leader, David Miscavige, or wasn't your relationship more with the rules? How does that relate to what you're saying? Yeah, okay. Um, no, I met David Miscavige fairly early on in my SEAL career, uh, personally. Um, not one-on-one, -on -one, but I was in the same room as him, being briefed by him for three straight days, uh, along with about 70 or 80 other people. And he was a pretty intense guy. Now, this was in 1996, and um, I had just gotten into the Sea Org like six months before. So here was the leader of Scientology right in my face being very intense and briefing us. Not intense like he was beating on people in front of us. You know, he never did that at our level. That was all at the upper, upper levels. At our level, his presence was very stage managed. And, um, and he was just coming off as the, as the, the um, very intense, very focused, very hardworking leader of our group. So I did feel like I had a somewhat of a relationship with the leader. It wasn't just with the rules. Up until that time, 
yeah, sure. But I felt like I had a personal connection with L. Ron Hubbard. Almost from, you know, day one of Scientology, you not only read his works, but you listen to his voice. And in some cases, there were some videos of him lecturing. Uh, there's a series of lectures called the Clearing Congress, which they filmed. And then they colorized them later on. And that made a very personal experience with, uh, with L. Ron Hubbard. And you see him laughing and joking and talking and lecturing and all these mannerisms that he had. And he, you know, say what you will about L. Ron Hubbard, and I'll, I've said a lot, but he was a fairly good public speaker in terms of when you actually see him talking. Um, you know, listening to him, <laughs> in retrospect, I go, wow, how did I ever buy some of this crap? And, you know, some of his, uh, you know, phrasing and some of his language is just awful. But when you watch him talk, you know, he was definitely connecting with the audience. I'll just say that. Uh, not endorsing him, obviously. I'm just saying that, you know, the guy knew how to, how to connect with people. And he would never have amassed the following that he had if he, if he didn't know how to do that. So... I did feel like I had a personal connection with L. Ron Hubbard, and then later I felt like I had a personal connection with David Miscavige. And I think that's one of the primary reasons that actually, you know, this is a really good question because it, it's, it's making me realize that probably a whole nother reason why those events happen every year that go, you know, what are they, seven, eight events that go on every year where David Miscavige personally comes out on stage and, um, oh, looks like we got a troll. Uh, where he comes out on stage and does his work. Um, just getting rid of somebody here. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, okay, good. Got rid of that person. I think one reason David Miscavige comes out on stage in person and does these events is so there's a personal connection there. So, you know, there you go. All right. All right, let's see what else we got going on here. I got to go back up to where I was. And let's see here. Da, 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 da. Stream resolution is 2006 style. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm doing the best I can here with the Wi-Fi in Philly. Um, all right, squirrel busters. Okay, so it looks like somebody else is... Uh, Oh, Morna McDonald asks me, who would your dream guest be to interview on your channel? David Miscavige. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I've interviewed some wonderful people on my channel. Um, some of the cult recovery experts and therapists and sociologists and psychologists I've interviewed have been amazing. Um, but if I could move up into the big leagues, I mean, if I could get Jason Begay on my channel, I mean, holy shit, that would just be the bomb. That would be awesome. I would love to get his entire story, Joe Rogan style. I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be so fun. Um, maybe I could get Christian Stoll to do that. You know, I met him at HowdyCon a couple weeks ago. Wonderful guy. So nice. Um, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to make some effort in that direction. I hadn't really thought about a dream guest, but... Um, you know, if I could get David Miscavige on video actually talking to me, oh my God, that'd be fun. Uh, okay, that's all just off the top of my head, of course. If I think about that, I'll probably come up with some better answers. 
Johnny V. Val asks, squirrel busters come after you or did you have any problems with private investigators and harassment? Uh, Johnny, no, I, I have not. And uh, I consider myself very lucky, very fortunate. And I will say that I think one reason for that is not because the work I'm doing is ineffective or doesn't matter, but because I, the timing of my work and the timing of me coming out of the church was very fortunate. And I am standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, there were people who came before me who took the shellackings, who took the beatings, who took the abuse so that I didn't have to. And I cannot even begin to express the debt of gratitude that I have to those people. And I'm talking about going all the way back to the old guard, Tory Chrisman, Jerry Armstrong, Lawrence um, Walersheim, right? these guys, uh, countless numbers of people, Arnie Lerma. I can't even begin to list them all out. So I, you know, I say I throw some names out there, and I know that I'm missing 20 more for every one that I'm naming. But those people were the ones who were, as far as I'm concerned, were the real heroes of this movement. And it was only because of the work they did that Anonymous in 2008 had access to the information they needed to do the worldwide protests and demonstrations and bring the exposure of Scientology's abuses to the world, which then opened the door to Mike and Marty, and then Going Clear, and then Leah's show. All of it has been a progression. All of it is built on what came before. And that's why I feel like I'm probably not receiving as much fair game abuse as people who came before me. All right. Uh, oh, Mark Bunker. Yeah, he'd be good to interview. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Um, hi, from Sweden. Wow, Sweden and Austria. Hey, guys. Welcome. Um, Dwayne, okay, I think the worst aspect of Scientology at the moment is Narconon. Yeah, arguably, that is true. Um, oh, yeah, Jamie DeWolf. I would like to get Jamie DeWolf on. That would be fun. That would be a good interview to do. Um, okay, let's see what else we got going on here. Just going down through the, some of the comments here. Here's all the troll comments. <laughs> Somebody says, uh, why, why did the Church of Scientology, uh, the ability to have written proof that indicates that you can be bought? Why? I'm so upset by your revelation. Why? I, I, I can't be bought. That's kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, I was playing with them, you know, and I was, by the way, um, doing so in coordination with other fellow ex-members. So I have all of that written down. So in case anybody ever tries to come after me and say I can be bought. <laughs> oh, my God, I would love to see them try. Anyway, that, do not even worry about that. I, I am not. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, yeah, clever guy, that Nietzsche. Absolutely. Um, okay, Polly M. asks, does the Church of Scientology think the world is ending soon? Is that why everything is so urgent? The Church of Scientology thinks that there's a possibility that if they don't get their work done fast enough, that the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why they have the whole preservation of the tech project, where they're preserving all of L. Ron Hubbard's words in case of nuclear war in those ridiculous uh, underground bunkers. And Hubbard talks in many, many places about how, you know, society is on its way out and that history shows that, you know, that, that things don't bode well for uh, where things are going. 
but it's just it's just ridiculous doom talk you know i've i i i've said in recent podcasts you know this end of the world nonsense that people get into uh even some of the end of the usa talk that people are getting into right now you know i tried to do a compare and contrast recently with the 1960s to show that that kind of talk always exists and if we fall prey to it and get into the the, the you know the craziness of some of that then we might in a way it might become a self-fulfilling prophecy uh you know because we anyway long long talk there but as far as scientology goes um yeah they do believe that if scientology had never happened that the world would already be over that that the things would already have gone to hell and because scientology is around they have changed the course of civilization and they will continue to do so and save the world. That's basically the attitude within, within Scientology about that. All right, let's see what else we got here. I'm going to give a couple more questions, and I'm going to have to split. Um, yeah, I don't think that there is any chance that, that David Miscavige is going to give me a, uh, an interview, by the way. I don't think he's going to give anybody an interview. Um, yeah, let's see here. Sandy N says, your videos prevented me from being dragged almost in a one-on-one -on -one cult based partly on the secret and partly on other bullshit. Critic hashtag critical thinking. Excellent. That's why I do this work. Thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate that comment. Uh, all right, let's see what else we got going on here. Um, what's next for me and my channel? All right. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? This guy's back. All right, let's just put him on another timeout. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, so uh, what was that question somebody was asking me there? Let's get back to that. Where? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, what's next for me and my channel? Uh, I'm going to finish the Basics of Scientology series. I'm trying to get around to that, but I'm also having a lot of fun uh, with the concept of these long-form interviews, so I want to do a lot more of those. I've also got a ton of people that I met here at the conference that I want to get on my channel from other groups and other areas. I met, I'm met. i hoping that I met a couple people who were involved in Nexium. I very much hope that I can arrange to get uh, one of them on my channel. I also met some other former JWs and uh, uh, Children of God, 12 tribes. I met people from lots of other groups. And I'm hoping that I can do some long-form interviews with them. Um, I want to wrap up the Basics of Scientology series and then maybe make a couple changes uh, to some things so that I can buy myself a little bit more time to get the books that I want to write done. I'm, I'm not able to get three videos up a week and get these books done, so I'm trying to figure out what I can do about that. You'll hear more about it as, as I get that. First things first, though, i got to get that Basics of Scientology series done. And yes, that includes the e-meter video. <laughs> okay. I'm loath to even mention that thing because I've been making so many promises about it for way too long, and I really want to get that thing done. Uh, I am not wearing my wedding ring on my right hand. This is my left hand. That's, that's the ring. It's on my left hand. It might look like on the video it's my right hand, but it's not. It's my left. Okay. Um, so let's see if I got one more fast one, and then I'm going to have to wrap up here. Um, uh, da, da, da. Oh, by the way, oh, another group that you're going to hear more from me about in the near future is TM, Transcendental Meditation. Um, if you guys don't know, it's a cult, and it's a bad one, 
And they're trying to make a resurgence here in the United States through the David Lynch Foundation, who David Lynch, the director, yeah, that guy, has bought into TM, hook, line, and sinker. And he is an idiot for doing so. It is a flat-out cult. It is very destructive. Um, they, are, they are saying things like it's not religious in nature. It's not a religion. Total lie. They're actually getting into the public schools in Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles when it was already decided in New Jersey in 1978 that it is illegal for TM to be done in schools. So, you know, this is this is something I'm going to be taking on um, because it, it is TM was dying in the United States. And now it's getting this resurgence because celebrities are jumping on board. And it is there's a best selling book by this guy named Bob Roth on the New York Times bestseller. And this guy is a liar and a fraud. And it needs to be exposed for such. So that's going to be happening on this channel as well. All right. So, um, oh, hey, $10 contribution. Thank you. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Um, all right. Let's see if we got anything else I can address quickly. Um, Fred asks, do you know something about Mark Bunker and his documentary knowledge report? I was looking forward to it. Me too. Uh, I actually did reach out to Mark and even offered my help to try to get that wrapped up. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure what's going on. Mark and I are not really in tight communication. It's not like we're friends or something. I, he's somebody that I know, and I would like to get in better touch with him. I think he had a stroke or something. I know that there were some medical situations that were impeding his work, and that's actually all I know about it. I, I can't really offer any other hard, hard information about what's going on with that knowledge report film. Um, you know, we'll see. I hope it does get come. I hope it eventually does come out or that, you know, a, a series gets done or something on that because Bunker really did some amazing interviews and some really good work. All right. So, um, I, wow, I see some other questions here, guys. Um, okay. Vector 20 asks, do you feel that the recent increase in troll attacks are due to your heightened visibility and message exposing Scientology? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, I haven't really changed what I'm doing. I haven't really uh, moved into some area where I'm exposing some whole new area that I wasn't talking about before. So I don't think it's the nature of my content. It's probably the visibility of my content that is bringing, attracting more flies and trolls, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the deal there, Vector. And I'm fine. You know, bring it on. Whatever. You know, you want to troll my channel. Uh, you know, I got a delete button and I'm happy to use it. Uh, you want know, to, you want to, you, you know, follow me around in my day-to-day -day life, prepare to be extremely bored following me to the grocery store. You know, it's like I, or the movie theater, I, I don't do, you know, super exciting things in my life, you know, come to an ICSA conference, you know, it's like, whoa, well, what, what's that Chris Shelton up to? So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of my life there. So if you want to troll me, you know, go right ahead. If you want to try to make my life difficult, well, good luck. Uh, all right. So um, with that, guys, we've been on for about 40 minutes. Um, I, you know, did my best to answer as many as I could here. Thanks for coming around. I've got to, I've got to wrap up and pack up and, and, uh, and do some things today and, and get on home. So uh, thank you so much for coming around. Later today, my interview with Ron Miscavige will be up. You guys can check that out also. Um, this has been a really fun week. My channel is in a little bit of a disarray because I haven't been able to, you know, doing the live streams. I got to get home 
and download the videos and do the whole posting and all that stuff. So all of that will happen tomorrow. Um, but thanks for coming around and watching and participating in my, my little channel effort here. I really appreciate your guys' viewership and support. And I will leave off with one last thing because I, I do want to say, if you can, throw me some love on Patreon. It really matters. I couldn't have made it out here to ICSA without your guys' support. I can't do my channel without your support. So, you know, thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, Paul. For uh, Thank you very much for that super chat uh, donation. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm going to get going. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.